What's up, folks? It's Will. And for those of you who don't know me already, I edit all things a Paranormal Chicks. And once a month over on Patreon, I put together bloopers. So all the bits that don't make it into the final episodes from the main episodes and from Sinister Sightings, they go into the bloopers and Patreon subscribers get them once a month. Here's a sneak peek as to what they sound like. Because they did have premarital sex. Sa- <laughs> they had a saxophone. And over on Patreon, Donna and Carrie bring you up to three bonus episodes a month. And there's so much other good stuff on there as well. So after you've listened to this, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the APC podcast and pick a tier that works for you. In the meantime, enjoy these sinister sightings. I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 71. I'm ready for these stories. We're just jumping right in. We are. Okay, okay. The first one. Hi, ladies. I'm back with another story. I hope this is as good as the last one. At one point in my life, I lived in an apartment that was a converted shoe factory. It was pretty awesome. Tall ceilings, exposed brick, all the things. I think I said it last time, but in case I forgot, I've always been sensitive to paranormal activity. Anyways, this apartment always gave me the creeps. For some context, this was a two-bedroom apartment, and I lived with my dad and younger brother. I decided to move in with them after they had been living there, so I had a twin bed behind the couch in the living room. My dad had a massive walk-in closet in his room that was all mine to keep my things and use as a dressing room. So it was not really bad. Anyways, I always felt uneasy sleeping in that apartment. Since it was a converted factory, a lot of people had died there. I think the original structure was from somewhere around the 1800s. I would lay awake in bed and just feel this sense of dread every night. Well, one night in particular, I felt like I was in danger. I peeked my head up from behind the couch to see a dark silhouette of a man standing at the entrance of the hallway. I was paralyzed in fear. I couldn't even lay back down. I know I was not dreaming because I hadn't even fallen asleep yet for the night. The shadow was getting closer and closer to my bed. It felt like hours had passed and I was just sitting up in bed watching the ominous figure come towards me when I heard a voice that told me to lay back down. It was as if someone had pressed play on a paused movie and I was able to move again. I laid down in my bed and pulled the covers over my face. I fell asleep in an instant. That night, I dreamed I was being attacked by the shadow man, and a young boy, maybe 16 or so, came to my rescue. It seemed so real, but I really believe I was dreaming. The boy from my dream had no face. He looked like he had had his face ripped off in some kind of machinery. His clothes were covered in blood. That was the first time I had ever seen him, and honestly, I think he was a factory worker who died in the old factory. After that night, I swear I could see him in the entrance of the hall where I had initially seen the shadow man. I never saw the shadow man again. I know this sounds crazy, but I honestly believe he was there to protect me, almost like someone I loved sent him to watch over me and keep the demon shadow guy from harming me. 
A lot of other inexplicable things happen there, but I will share just one more since this is already too long as it is. We had one of those microwaves that is mounted over the stove. One afternoon, my dad was sitting in front of the stove. He was in a wheelchair, eating a bowl of cereal. I was on the couch reading a book. The floor plan was pretty open, so I could see him in the kitchen from where I was sitting. All of a sudden, we heard the sound of someone pressing the numbers on the microwave like they were going to cook something. Then the microwave started going. Light turned on and everything. There was no one home but my dad and me. Obviously, no one was using the microwave. My dad was like, what the fuck? And hit stopped and turned it off. A few seconds of silence passed, then it happened again. He was like, what the hell? So he unplugged it. The cord just hung down and was plugged into an outlet next to the stove. With the microwave unplugged, we heard the buttons being pressed and it started again. At this point, I am horrified and he is just annoyed. My dad didn't believe in any kind of paranormal anything. So what does he do? He starts punching the microwave until it finally stops. He called maintenance the next day and they brought us a new one. It never happened again. My dad said it was just a defective unit, but that does not explain how it was running when it was unplugged. Needless to say, when I finally moved out of there to live with my then-fiancé, now hubby, I was grateful. My dad and my brother only lived there a few more months after I moved out, so I never stepped foot in his apartment again after I moved. You ladies helped me get through my tedious work days. Keep being the hilarious duo that I've come to love like two real-life best friends. Creep it real, Brittany. Oh my goodness, Brittany. Well, first things first. You're the realist. Yes, but it's Brittany, bitch. Uh, when it did the deep boop 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 to do the time, was it the same numbers each time? Mm. And was it like 666? Or like 300? Zero, zero. <laughs> Three o'clock! I know. The witching hour! Also, those microwaves that are above the stove... Those are my nemesis. I'm sure things are hot when you're getting it out. I don't like it. Also, I believe what you're saying is true. Like, that the shadow person was evil, but the other spirit was a protector. Yeah, and like, you heard something say, lay down. Yeah. This next one is called My Scary Story. Hey girls, George B. here. Thank you so much for the personalized video. That was just awesome. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we met. Holy crap. Also, the video he's talking about is if you are a $10 up Patreon member, you get a personalized thank you video from us. And when I say personalized, well, when she says personalized, she means personalized. Some of them are... hmm. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't delete their Patreon after they got I the mean, video. Sometimes we have to say, uh, please still be watching and please don't leave. <laughs> because we get on tangents. Just like we do here, it's all unedited. We have no video editor. We used to be able to blame it on Bo, but he's no longer in the room. It's just us and our short attention span. And my yawning. And her finger snapping and chair moving and everything else and I don't know why but sounds like it just goes like my brain goes what was that noise what was that noise why did she move there why did she do that like this right now this would be on a thank you video I'm not kidding y'all man doesn't that just sound like you get your money's worth (laughs) (laughs) 
They're like, I'll pay $10 so you don't send me that right? video. <laughs> but, oh, my God, 10 years. Whew. Anyway, I've got a spooky little story about a poltergeist when I was a kid. Here's a little background. My family moved to Mississippi in May 1973 from upstate New York. I turned six just a week or two later. The house was a three-bedroom, one-bath that had been built in the 1940s and was, at the time that it was built, the grandest and biggest house in the area. In parentheses, he said this was way out in the country. At the time that we bought it, it, of course, was not the biggest or the grandest. And to put into perspective of how far money went back then, we bought the house and 3.5 acres of land for $7,000. Holy shit. <laughs> Whoa, you can't even buy an acre of land for $7,000 I was just about to say, that right now would be like, like just the land would be like 100000 Yeah. Crazy. I mean, that's Mississippi numbers. You know, yeah. that's not like, I mean, I can't imagine somewhere else. No. Could you imagine that much land, like, in California? No. Ooh, that reminds me. If y'all watch Selling Sunset, it comes back uh, Friday, this Friday. Now, there was a woman who lived in the area at the time that this house was built, and she'd always wanted to see the house, but she died before she could. Illness, not really sure how she died. Since she'd always wanted to see it, they held the viewing of her in the living room of the house. There were later stories that her spirit never left the house when they buried her. About a year, maybe two, after we moved in, I had an odd occurrence. I never sleepwalked before this one night, and I've never sleepwalked since. But I remember dreaming about the woman's ghost talking to me one night, and in my dream, I followed her out into the hallway and through the archway into the living room. Then I woke up and I was standing in the dark in the hallway next to the living room entrance and freaked out completely, mainly because just after waking up, I could see a pale white figure standing in front of me and then she was gone. I fully believe it was the spirit of the woman who was laid out in her coffin in our house. And while I never had that experience again, I would from time to time see ghostly flashes throughout the house in the evenings. For years afterward, I would experience strange things in the house, but the worst was in my early tween years, 11 to 14, when what I can only describe as poltergeist activity would occur around me. In the middle of the night, I would hear dishes clinging together out in the kitchen or other unexplained noises throughout the night. But the most frightening thing was the footsteps. I would hear footsteps walking up the hall and into my room, coming over right next to my bed. This freaked me out every single time, and anytime I would be brave enough to turn on the lamp next to my bed, no one was there. This went on nearly every single night between the ages of 11 and 14, and this is probably where my insomnia started. Not only would I hear the sound of the footsteps, but also some of the floorboards in my bedroom were squeaky, and they would squeak underneath the footsteps. I never saw my nightly intruder, and for that I thank God above, but it was terrifying enough. I don't recall now how it ended, if it was just a sudden thing or if the footsteps tapered off, but I honestly don't care. I'm just glad they finally did stop. 
Anyway, not much of a story, I guess, but I thought I'd share. Thanks for entertaining us with your podcast, and I'm glad I'm able to help out just a little bit on Patreon. Love y'all, George. That would be scary as an adult, much less a kid. Oh my gosh. Yes. Also, can we can we go back to where that lady had never been inside the house, but really wanted to see inside the house, and so they did her viewing inside the house? That sounds like my mama 100%. <laughs> Like, I don't know what that laugh was, but yes, it does. I mean, I, what? Like, that is something my mama would do. And she would be like, Donna, when I die, do my memorial service in that house. Like, what the fuck? We've never even been in that house, but okay. You're not wrong. And then Lori was already dead before, so if that happened, I would be the one to have to go knock on that person's house and be like, hey, so... My mama loved your house and always wanted to come in, but that'd be creepy. So she died and she, you know, wants to be viewed here. So all my creepy family wants to come and watch her creepiness um, in your house. And we're going to look around and see what's in your bathroom too. Cool. Yeah, but I feel like it probably was at a time when it was like normal to do the viewing at home. But it wasn't their house. No, no, no. I get that. I'm saying, but like, (laughs) at least it's not like, if you like, were like, Dick, dick, dick. And you said, uh, my friend loves your house and she died. Can we have her viewing here? I'd be like, hell fucking no. I mean, I'd be like, how much money, honey? Touche. <laughs> but back then it wasn't that nor- abnormal. Yeah. Also, thank you, George, for sharing that. And I thought that was a great story. Me too. It's creepy as fuck. And also, thank you for Patreon support. Hello. I'll call myself Jules. He, him pronouns. I'm three days into social distancing because of the COVID-19 outbreak, so I thought I would finally tell you my spooky stories. Oh my gosh, this is the beginning of of, the end? (laughs) Yes, of what we're still fucking in. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy that we're still in it. With no end in sight. No end in sight. And like, I really thought, probably the time he wrote this was like, Yeah, this is going to be gone soon. Sure. You know? Mm -hmm. Well, I totally was like, why wouldn't we have the True Crime Podcast Festival? It's in July. Yeah. I've had these in my back pocket for a while and hadn't decided which podcast I wanted to send them to. But I finally decided yours because I love your energies. So here goes. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. I know. Like, (laughs) you love us. You really love us. I'm a college student, and I work at one of the libraries at my university. Do you get busy in the stacks? Need to know. Inquiring minds. The nerd in me always wanted to do that. Never did it, though. It's not one of the more popular ones, so a lot of times I'll be working in an empty area of the library, shelving books or dusting them, which means you have plenty of time for the stacks. Let's get it on. It wasn't until recently that I learned that our library used to be the main library, so the building is a lot older than I realized. The first sinister sighting happened maybe almost a year ago. I was kneeling down, checking that all the books on the shelf were in order. Now, the way that this part of the library is set up, the row I was in was the only exit if you looped around the whole section, meaning I would have seen someone walking behind me. I was kneeling down, reading the spine labels of the books. I noticed someone walk past the end of the shelves on the right. 
I thought maybe security was walking through as they did often, but the motion detecting lights didn't turn on. I was right outside their sensor. And then about five minutes later, security did walk by and the first person never went out past me, which they would have had to, to leave that wing of the library. After that, I looked all up and down all of the rows and all of the desks and chairs, and there was nobody there. When I told my manager about this, she's pretty cool and also believes, she asked, oh, were you on the fourth floor? I was like, no, the hell is on the fourth floor. She didn't elaborate, but a few weeks ago, something happened to me up there. What the Dewey Decimal System? Oh my God. (laughs) That was a good one. Also, libraries give me so much anxiety of I never know where things are. I never know how to look at stuff. I watched that fucking Dewey Decimal System video that we had to watch in grammar school and I still don't fucking understand. I used to. Now I'd be like, what? The fourth floor has special collections and some offices. It's normally empty, but it was Sunday morning, so it was extra empty. I was putting books away, and I stepped onto a step stool to reach a tall shelf. These stools have metal springs in them, so they make a very obvious and distinct creak sound when you get on them. I got down and continued down the way, putting books where they belong. About ten minutes later, I hear the creak of a step stool. Curious, I go up and down the shelves in the area, and there's no one there. I power walked down those stairs so fast. I wonder if the ghosts were bored and wanted something to read. Thanks for reading, and don't get scared of educated ghosts. Jules. Oh my goodness. Libraries are always scary in the movies because it's always like you can see someone going down the row of books, but you can't like see the person. You can either see, like, their feet or, like, their eyes through the books or something. And that's all I can picture Mm -hmm. this happening. And so I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. I always love the way libraries smell. Yeah. All right. Hi, friends. I wanted to share a quick and wholesome paranormal experience I had when I was a kid with y'all. I grew up going to a dance studio. My sister started dancing there before I was born, and I started when I was two. Our family was there in total for over 18 years, and the people who worked there and attended the studio were our best friends and second family. When I was in eighth grade, the secretary of the studio suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. For her funeral, our competitive students learned and performed a dance. My mom and I were out of town up until the day of her funeral, so I didn't learn or perform the dance. At the funeral, I sat with a couple of my friends and their moms. My older sister sat with her friends, and my mom sat with some other moms. So we were sitting in the back row. I was the last person on the end of my church pew, and my friends were snuggled and being comforted by their moms during the service. I remember when the dancers were performing, I put my head in my hands and quietly sobbed. Then I felt an adult's hand soothingly rubbing my back for like three pat circles and it stopped. The hand came from my right side, the side where no one else was sitting beside me. There was no one sitting behind me either. And to this day, I'm convinced that that was our secretary trying to comfort me at her own funeral. Poppy. How freaking sweet. 
like she did like she cared it really was like a second family yeah also like you must have been a badass like cool that you can handle it by yourself because i'd be like mom i gotta sit by you like that would have been it my mom would have been like can you sit back there with other people and i've been like Mm-mm. like i would have been holding on to her fucking leg and been like walk bitch because i'm here <laughs> but i'm also codependent as fuck so take it for what you will the only funeral I haven't sat with my mama at, that she was at the funeral, was your mama's funeral because I was beside you. Yeah. Well, and it was a memorial service. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <It's semantics. laughs> oh, shit. Were her ashes there? Yeah. Then it was a fucking funeral. Hi, y'all. I have a lot of stories because I have been very sensitive to, quote, stuff since I was a little girl. But I've decided to close that door, and for five years, I've tried my best to not be open to it. Sorry, that might sound crazy, but dealing with spirits and sometimes voices was getting too overwhelming. Anyway, the most recent story happened last week. My family and I planned a trip to Mexico, and I had family flying in to stay at my house, and we then drove down to Mexico. We're in Southern California. The day before everyone was scheduled to arrive, I had the deepest sleep I've had in months. I have a nine-month-old, and moms know that it is nearly impossible to deep sleep. So I'm out. My phone's ringer is off when suddenly I am awakened at 3 a.m. by a man's voice calling me by name. It was so clear that it immediately woke me up. I heard the voice near my bedroom door. And I'm lying on the bed with so many thoughts. I was a little scared and refused to look towards the door because I knew, I just knew there was a man standing there. The voice was just so clear. After lying there for a few seconds and logically thinking through, I thought, if there's a man standing there, my golden retriever girl who sleeps by my feet would have lost her mind. But she was in a deep sleep. I finally looked and there was nothing there. I then checked my phone and I had about 10 missed calls and a lot of text messages from my niece. She and her boyfriend decided to arrive earlier than I expected and were calling me to open the front gate so they could come in. There was no way that they were outside my window because to get to my floor, you need to come through the bottom level garage and you need my approval to do so. My place is heavily guarded because my ex-boss waited for me outside of my previous home and tried to kill me. Holy Hannah! She had a gun. I guess I could write about that next time. Well, that's a story about how an unknown male voice woke me up. Moral of the story, I guess, don't turn your ringer off. Even if you'll wake the baby, love your podcast. You girls are awesome. Rels. Oh my gosh. Uh, Yes, please. Tell us that story because, thank goodness, your boss did not succeed. Oh, my God, yes. Send that in because, wow. And, like, while it seems like, why would you want to cut those, like, the sensitivity off to spirits or whatever? I can't imagine because it's like, well, was that, like you just said, was that somebody? Was that a spirit? Was that this? Like, You never just are at peace. Yeah, I can't imagine how draining that is. Just because how draining my own thoughts are. Mm -hmm. And then if you have an unlimited amount of other people's 
thoughts and feelings and emotions and, you know, like, I'm not even like an empath. I'm just empathetic. But that reminds me of that Lisa lady from Lifetime mm-hmm. that had the like hat. Yeah, she had the hat that would close it off. That was her to signify everyone like, leave me alone. Also about the missed calls. Um, so put your phone on do not disturb because then if they're in your favorites, it will ring. And if they're not in your favorites, if they call two times in a row, like back to back, it will ring. But then that way, text messages don't... I sleep with my phone. Do not disturb every damn night. All right. This is called Spirits of the Family. Hi, girls and ghosts. Before I tell you my story, I just want to say that you have reached the other side of the world. I'm from Denmark, and I'm super hooked on your podcast. Holy shit. What the fuck? Thank you so much. My stories are more about spirits than ghosts. These two stories are quite similar. The first happened when I was about eight years old. It was shortly after the death of my paternal grandmother's sister. She and I had a certain bond to each other. My sister and I were sleeping in our mom's room that night, and I was the only one awake, and suddenly a woman was here too. I looked towards the door to see her standing there dressed in a beautiful dress, and she was holding a note of paper in her hands reading from it, but no sound came from her mouth, though I knew it was her goodbye. I have later spoken to my dad about this experience, and he told me that she also visited him probably that same night, though he could hear she told him that she didn't know where to go, and so to help guide her, he imagined a stairway to heaven, which she then walked and went away. Holy shit. Wow. My second story is when I was 16, the death of my maternal Nana. She had been sick with cancer for two years and was at the very last stage of her life. Since my mother is Scottish, Nana was in Scotland. My mother decided to travel home to go and see her for the last time. Everyone knew that she would die in a few days. My sister and I were bound to school home in Denmark, so we couldn't really go, Mum said. After some days discussing whether we could bloody come or not, we just decided to book tickets and leave to see our Nana one last time. When we arrived, she was very weak. We entered the living room where she wanted to die, and she was lying in her bed and wasn't able to do anything but hardly breathe. My mom said to Nana, your granddaughter is here. My mom took her cold, frail hand and put it into mine. When we held hands, she let out a moan of recognition and relief. I believe she was happy that we were there. The day after, she died with my mom and uncle by her side. That same night, I again was sharing a room with my mom and my sister. They were both asleep, but I had awakened in the night, and suddenly I had felt an urge to sit up, and I leaned against my elbow and looked around the room. There was nothing, but the room was glowing, and I felt a nice tingling sensation in my body. When it went away, I lied down again, and after a few seconds, I thought, this couldn't have been real. I sat up again and realized that I was so much heavier than I was just before. It was like the gravity was lighter when she had visited me. A side note, my Nana was psychic, and she knew she was going to die on that specific date. She'd even told the doctors, but they laughed at her, telling her that she would make it to live. 
It was the day of our arrival that she had predicted to die, and I believe she fought with all of her power to stay a day longer so she could feel and hear my sister and I before she finally left. I was very sad that she was the first of my grandparents to go. She was very special to me. I was very engaged in her funeral and also gave a speech at the chapel. Love your podcast, Sophie. God, I don't know how you talked at her funeral. The same way you talked to my mama's memorial service? Well, I cried. Mm-hmm. I made her. This is why I, Carrie, she's like, I'm like, I'm going to talk, so you have to talk. The only two motherfuckers that talked. Uh-huh. Thing one and thing two. Yep. <laughs> Also, it sounds like you had a very special bond with her. Yes, with both of them. And that's amazing. I'm just thinking of like all the things you probably learned from them. And that's really cool. Also, shout out to Denmark. Because that's like, what? That's freaking awesome. Okay. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to say I'm obsessed with your show, although I kind of feel bad that I love listening to other people's misfortunes. However, coming from the town that brought you the West Memphis Three and old ladies that stabbed each other over dollar towels during Black Friday, I'm here to tell you about some of my experiences. I can remember I was just at that preteen age, starting seventh grade. It was the beginning of school, and I waited all week for Friday. Who doesn't, honestly? But my mom and dad promised that they would take me and my best friend Caitlin to the movies that Friday night. Being from West Memphis, it's kind of like a rearview mirror town. It's a place people stop while traveling to get to another destination. Not a whole lot's going on. You've kind of got to go to Memphis to do anything. So our favorite movie place was known as the Peabody. Or if you're from New England, Peabody. They didn't say that I did. While the hotel and building itself is still there, the movie theater is no longer there. Although, cool fact, I met Robin Williams there right after he had filmed a movie. Sidetracked, sorry, worst storyteller. Uh, you fit right in. Because uh, we do the same. Anyway, Friday's Blues Fest used to be a thing. The local restaurants around the Peabody used to get really into the whole blues fest and people would come and rally, drink, and play music. It used to be an every weekend kind of thing, but for some reason, it just seemed to kind of phase out over the years. So after our movie, it was kind of late. People were starting to leave and music fest was starting to kind of die down. I remember my dad making the comment, great, now all the drunk drivers are going to be prowling. We parked in the parking garage attached to the Peabody place. Right about that time, a car full of drunks swerved at me and my dad coming around the corner. My dad, with his super quick reflexes, pulled me almost on the top of the nearest car. Well, being caught off guard, I put my hand on the car and kind of caught my breath. Now it's time to tell you a little bit about my dad. He is super observant swear he has a photographic memory and selective hearing. Now, I'm in college, and he's the type of dad that when I come home, he circles my car and points out every new scratch or mark on my car and is like, where did you get this? How did that get there? Or, dang, you need to clean out your car. The health department is going to come collect it or something cheesy like that. He means well, and thankfully, he has taught me to be overly paranoid in this day and age. Thank you, Daddy. But... 
also, usually when my dad says something, no matter how off the wall it may seem, it's usually true. Enough talking about him. Back to the story. Right after we almost got mauled down by the drunk driver, he says, Oh my God, this is the van of the woman that has been missing for almost six weeks. What? There was blood splatter on the back of the bumper. My dad was like, Bonita, my mom, that's blood. And she's like, Ronald Eugene, quit trying to scare the kid. It's just <laughs> rust or juice. <laughs> Backstory. My mom went to high school with a girl named Tanya Kohler. Her mother, Yvonne Kohler, lived a couple of houses down the street from us. It had broke the news that she was missing, and the police were really hitting a dead end on any leads. The community really tied together. Local businesses were posting flyers of her gold van and license plate number. Back to the Peabody. Me, Caitlin, and my mom, Benita, were all like, whatever, no way. But my dad insisted. So we drove the 15 minutes back to Marion to find one of the flyers posted to make sure that the plate number matched. We drove to Howard's Donuts, which if you've ever been to Howard's of West Memphis, then you know that the Lord truly touched down and blessed us when he made that golden, crispy deliciousness. Anyways, the flyer was the first place we could remember seeing one. So what do you know? We go and the plates matched. They fucking matched. So we rushed to the West Memphis Police Department. We run in like something off of a CSI and we start screaming like this and the plates match. And they were like, wait, what? And they literally had no idea what we were talking about. Shout out to West Memphis Police Department. But no, seriously, there was a guy who was kicked back in his chair with his feet propped up on the desk and he shouted to his boss in another room. Hey, boss, do we have a woman missing? And the boss comes out and tells us to go back and park by the gold van of the missing lady. Well, shit, I hope it's still there. Anyways, we go back and thank gosh, it's still there. We wait a little bit and the next thing you know, here comes a little cop rolling down the parking garage like he's Barney Fife or something. In all seriousness, I couldn't take him seriously. He had his little helmet on and comes running up with his knee pads, inhibiting his run a little. Where's the emergency? Then comes the parking garage security, mad because we didn't tell them first, when in all reality, they hadn't been logging the books like they were supposed to. The car had been sitting there the whole six weeks. When a car is only supposed to sit there for two days before getting towed. So she was all concerned about her job. The police showed and talked to my dad for a little bit. Little ears weren't supposed to listen. Anyways, it came out that after a little digging, Yvonne's daughter's husband had killed her, buried her, and left the van in the Peabody parking lot. He also turned out to be a convicted sex offender that wasn't registered after he moved from Mississippi to Arkansas. What a shitty law. Creep it real and don't get murdered because they might not find your body or even know you're missing if you're from West Memphis. Jenny. My dad ended up going on the news and talking with Janice Broach at Action 5. Another real quick, because I know I'm the worst storyteller. I'm sorry, I get so sidetracked. But when I was in the ninth grade, my mom and dad were only going to be gone for about two hours. I get dropped off by my school teacher, 
She lived next door, and I would ride to and from school with her, but usually my older sister was able to be there. But she was out of town, so Mom and Dad decided it was time that I stay by myself. Plus, my teacher lived next door, and my other next-door neighbor, Mr. Johnny, was my dad's hunting partner. He's an older, retired gentleman, always home, working in the yard, or doing something outside, promised to keep an eye on me. Well, between the two hours that I was home alone, my men pen started going crazy. Keep in mind, men pen are known for barking, and Sophie... That's funny, we had another Sophie. Okay. Well, she was a little overprotective anyways, but this was a different kind of barking. Well, all of a sudden, I hear talking. I'm like, oh shit, someone is really in the house. So I call Mr. Johnny next door. Well, it turned out that he had saw them and was on his way. But we have a mother-in-law wing, and they had gone into the other part of the house. They had stole a couple of my dad's guns before Mr. Johnny could get there and scare them off. Fast forward to 2013, my first year at college at Arkansas State. I got into a little trouble, nothing serious, but freshman year parties, you know, the whole ordeal. Nothing that would get me into criminal trouble. Well, my dad calls me, and I quote, he says, Jennifer, the police detective is calling from the Jonesboro Police Department. What the hell did you get us into? I'm really trying to think back, like, shit, what the hell did I get us into? Well, last week before that, there was a mass murder that happened at or around Nick Pack. It was a Hispanic man, and it turns out that the guns used to kill everybody was the guns that my dad had reported stolen from the break-in from my ninth grade year. Holy shit. Thank God I didn't do anything to get my dad into criminal trouble because I wouldn't be here to be telling you this because then you really might be reading about my murder. But I didn't. So, love you, Daddy. Oh, my God. Wow. Your dad is like Vincent D'Onofrio's character on Criminal Intent and also the guy that everyone loves on Criminal Minds, the the skinny guy with the curly hair. Mm-hmm. Spencer. Yeah. Like, that's who he is. Like, always noticing, like, the yeah. small, minute details and... I know. There's probably so many, like, cars that we've seen that have been involved with stuff that were like, oh, look, a gold van. And yeah. it's like, wait, that's the gold van. That's from the missing, you know? Yeah. I would never remember those details. No, more than likely, I'm the guy, the police officer laid back, and I'm like, wait, there's a missing person? All right, the last one, it's finally at ease. Hello, I just want to start out by saying how much I love you, ladies. You've gotten me through some of the hardest times this past year. Thank you for everything. I have two stories that go together, but happened at different places and different days. Some background information to set the scene. My mother was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic lung cancer in November of 2018. It was a lot to take in as I was only 21 and in college. My mom pushed me to continue my education on becoming a teacher, and I told her I would if I moved my wedding date up so she could be there. At first, she said no, but I begged, and she finally allowed it. I planned a wedding in three months. My husband and I got married on July 13, 2019. Honestly, it was the most stressful time of my life, but I would do it all over again to have those pictures and memories with my mom in them. 
After my wedding, my mom's condition drastically declined. She was losing weight and her bones were fractured, so she was bedridden. In October, they diagnosed that she had a brain tumor. My mom decided to do radiation treatments to help. Sadly, they did not. She was given 24 hours, only four days after ending her treatments. I took a leave from college and stayed with her, helping her around the clock with medications, cleanliness, and massaging her sore muscles. This time was so precious to have. She ended up being strong and hanging on for nine more days. She asked me to go back to college and back to teaching two days before she passed. Against my own wishes, I did because she wanted me to. She passed November 1st, and I wasn't there. I felt terrible, and I blamed myself for not being there. I had a lot of trouble with coming to terms with this and felt alone because I felt that she was alone when she passed, even though my father and my sister were there with her. That night, I couldn't sleep. I had so many thoughts in my head that I was not at peace with myself. That night, I was laying in bed with my eyes closed, and I felt tingles all over my body. I opened my eyes and I saw a black mass shaped like a petite woman above me. I was not afraid, but I felt a sense of comfort and ease slowly run down my body. I took a deep breath and I started to cry. I silently said, thank you, mom. I love you. And I fell asleep. Three days later, my mother-in-law had wind chimes that a friend gave me from my mother's memorial at her house. I couldn't fit them in my car, so she took them with her. There was no wind, draft, or animals in her house. I had called her to vent and cry, and during my call, I heard her go silent during a sentence. I asked what was wrong, and she just started to cry. She said that the wind chimes started to slowly move and get louder, and when she turned to look at them, they stopped completely. I believe my mother came to say that she was okay and I would be okay. I'm sorry this email was so long. If you don't read it on the podcast, I completely understand. I just wanted to share these two stories with you girls. Thank you for everything and for helping me through some tough times. Love you, RK. Well, RK, now that you've got uh, Donna and everybody else crying, thank you so much for sharing that. That is so beautiful. And Donna's not going to say this, but... I'm going to say that I think that that story coming right now is for Donna as well. Because this month is Donna's mom's birthday month. So that is the like perfect special story to end on. Thank you all so much for sending in all your sinister sightings. Keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.